I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Andy Sindrich. He is a Franklin Covey Senior Consultant whose personal mission statement is to help teams and individuals win. Andy is a co-author of the book and our focus for today, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Awesome talk, awesome read. Every leader interested in change needs to listen and read this book. You're going to learn so much. Thanks for listening. Oh, by the way, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, left a review for me. Could you do that for me? You know, say a few nice words and maybe five stars. What do you think? Mm? <laughs> That'd be so cool. Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show it's the education podcast your favorite show with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know so crank it up the tin and let your neighbors know that here's another show with dr steve Milletto. teaching learning leading k-12 teaching learning leading k-12 teaching learning leading k-12 ah, ah, with dr steve Milletto. Today I'm talking with Andy Sindrich, one of the authors of Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Change is focused on helping the reader to learn from experts from Franklin Covey on how successful leaders engage people in change and turn change into opportunity. Change was written by co-authors Curtis Bateman, Marche Plachette, Andy Sindrich, and Christy Phillips, Ph.D. They share their decades of experience and, and provide actionable tips and skills to pilot your team through the waters of disruptive change. Andy Sindrich began his work with Franklin Covey in 1999. He loves his job because the work Franklin Covey does aligns with his personal mission, a statement to help teams and individuals win. Andy's experience owning and operating a successful business allows him to customize each client intervention. He has worked with clients to drive results in every imaginable area from safety to improved sales to unprecedented improvements in employee engagement to dramatic decreases in cycle time to nine-figure cost savings in as little as five months. Andy has worked with a variety of industries, including software, insurance, hospitality, banking, construction, healthcare, chemical, automobile, mortgage, technology, telecom, energy, and pharmaceutical industries, among others. He has also worked with several U.S. government departments and agencies. He has a master's in educational leadership, a B.S. in teaching both psychology and history, and a minor in coaching. Andy, it's awesome to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us, and say hi to everybody. Hey, thanks so much, Stephen. Hey, everybody. So excited to be able to visit with Stephen and learn a little bit more about what he's doing and share a few ideas about things we've learned about change. Hopefully it will make a difference in your schools. It's going to be an awesome conversation. I love the book and uh, I, I just wish I'd had this opportunity uh, with a book like this when I was in the high school setting in the seat as a principal working on this, but uh, oh my gosh, for anybody listening, this is, you got to find this book. So Andy, in the introduction of change, how to turn uncertainty into opportunity each author shares some thoughts. You focus on getting unstuck. Could you talk about why you chose to write about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, one of the travesties in life is when people and organizations fail to make progress. And I remember several years ago, I wrote an article in LinkedIn about the stink that goes along with stagnation. <laughs> And uh, I just want to make sure that we don't stink as school leaders and as leaders in organizations. And, uh, you know, as you just read, my, my personal mission statement 
is to help people and organizations win. And, and for me, winning's about growth and it's about development and it's about, you know, persisting in the face of obstacles and adversity. It's about thriving and about change and about fighting the forces of entropy that, that pull us backwards all the time and hold us down from achieving our true potential. And so that's, uh, I just see people getting stuck and they're not achieving their potential. They can't win when they get stuck. And so that's, that's why I'm, I'm really interested in helping people kind of break loose and, uh, and get moving and growing. You know, it's awesome because having been in different leadership roles, one of the things that does happen from time to time, either it's uh, some thoughtful words, a kick in the pants or, you know, just, just, you know, somebody to say, get over it, man. And let's, let's just focus on what's going on. And, uh, but I, I just, I just like what you're talking about. Cause, uh, sometimes it is, it's, it's, it's you might as well be sitting in a, a bunch of mud and you can't get the car to go <laughs> get yeah. out of the hole, you know, that type of thing. Um, right. Right. Good, good stuff. Uh, all right. So change has a unique beginning. It starts with a parable about a ship named results. Could you share why the group chose to begin their book about change this way? Well, I think human beings tend to remember stories pretty well. And I think it's easy for us to see ourselves and others as characters in a parable. And parables also, by their nature, allow people to experience a story in different ways and at kind of different levels of depth and depending on where they're at and what their needs are. And when we were initially thinking about using the parable, we, were, we weren't sure if it was going to work. And so we, we started doing sort of focus groups. And I shared an early version of it with a group of 25 family members and friends. And then I did it with another group of leaders. And, the, and, and these people were anywhere from age 6 to 80. That was the oldest person that we had in one of the groups. And, and what was fascinating to me, and I think to the rest of the author group, was that the parable sparked all kinds of different types of learning and insights in the group as each person heard the story. And they heard it in their own unique ways. So the things that they brought to the conversation and the insights were really incredible. I think parables have the ability to do that. And, and look, there's, there's a lot of parables in the most published and read book on the planet, um, the Bible. And so I guess that model gave us some confidence that it might work as a tool to teach people about change. So uh, I don't know, I, I guess we felt some good backing with, <laughs> with that. And then that our sense. own experience really highlighted like, man, when people hear a parable-like story, it unlocks so much learning and, and different levels of learning in people, depending on where they're at. Uh, that's so awesome. I, it, and it's a great story and it's a great way of beginning. And uh, it really gets you thinking uh, along the lines. And then this, this theme of the, the ship and the captain and so forth is throughout the book. And, and so it really, uh, it really takes, it connects the, the point of the book um, throughout, I, I think it's awesome. So, yeah, we can keep tying back to it, right? We just keep referencing back, remember here, and this is what was going on. And, and so we, we can help spark some of that deeper learning using the story as the backbone 
for the whole book. I think it works well. Oh, it definitely does. Definitely does. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the, you know, the subject because change doesn't always go over so well with, <laughs> with people. Matter of fact, I think they'd rather have people talk about it as far as other people having to deal with change, not me. So <laughs> can you talk just a little bit about how most people feel about change? Yeah. So, I mean, 88% of people, our research tells us 88% of people feel that a change is going to make things worse for them personally. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't care what it is. Like the administration could buy every staff member a brand new $4,000 multi-adjustable Herman Miller chair. And there's going to be people that are going to complain about it. Like, it's too complex. I don't know how to work it. I like my old chair. The color's wrong. It doesn't roll the same way on the carpet. Like, they'll find a million different things that are wrong with that change, even though the the people who sponsored it would think, like, this would be the greatest gift we've ever given our staff. Like, they're going to love it. And and so I think that's, you know, one of the things that we have to recognize. People, you know, they're afraid of change uh, a lot of times. It makes people feel uncomfortable. And, you know, we, we identified five common reactions to change, which I think actually represent the common feelings pretty well. And, you know, so we talked about there's a group of people who tend to move when change happens. And they're excited about the change. They want to jump on board with it. You know, a lot of times they're a little attention deficit, right? They're bored with the last program or thing or software or or curriculum or whatever it is. And so, you know, those people are excited. Their emotion and how they feel is excitement about the change, very positive in their lives. And there's another group of people who minimize change. And I think these people want to comply with the change. They want to be good soldiers, but they don't want to do any more than is required. And you know, to be seen in line with the change, right? And, and some people will think they're lazy. I think a lot of times they're not necessarily late. They're, they're just efficient. And they're, they're bothered by the impact of the change to their lives. So, so they're bothered, they're uncomfortable, and, and those people tend to minimize change. There's another group that likes to wait. And I think what these people feel is uncertainty about the change, a lack of confidence in themselves and their ability to navigate the change, but also a lack of confidence that the change will stick. So they've seen change come and go. They've seen leaders come and go. And so they just sort of fold their arms and they're just like, I'm going to wait this one out. This too shall pass is their mantra, right? And, And I think there's, you know, so for them, what they're feeling is uncertainty and a lack of confidence in themselves and, and those who are instituting the change. And until others get on board, till they start seeing like a bulk of people getting on board and shifting, they're just going to wait. And then once, once they see the movement, they'll, they'll get on board because that gives them some certainty and a little bit more confidence. And now they're in with a group who's moving and, and it gives them a little more self-confidence. There's another group who resists change, and they they just don't like it. They feel a need to sound the alarm, if you will, to protect others from the impact of the change, and you know, don't let administration do this to you. And um, and I think that can be that can be you know maybe a really negative impact when 
the union presence tends to navigate things in an, in a maybe a less effective way. The resistance or those who resist can tend to fight change. And, and I think a lot of those people have an emotional reaction to change that drives their resistance. They're, they just don't like the feeling of change. And sometimes that comes from stuff they don't even remember when they were little kids, right? They just could, we don't know, but they're just emotional about it. And, and others are really thoughtful about the change. They resist because they've, cha- they've, seen, they've seen change fail so often. And they, and, and they can kind of predict everything that's going to go wrong with the change. And, 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 and I think they're, they're, they can be a good bellwether, but it's interesting the people who hate change, who are resisting it, we always want to put them on our change teams. And I think that's a mistake, right? I think it's, it's a little bit like, because their goal is to stop the change. So you want to, if you're going to bring them in, cause you want their voice to be heard, you put them on the team. They're working cross purposes. Like they're right. really literally trying to stop the change because they dislike it so much. And I, I mean, I don't know if maybe forgive the analogy for those of you who are listening, but I think change gives us gas and metaphorical gas, if you will. <laughs> like and that. as a new grandparent, seven months uh, in, I'm kind of getting re- in back in touch with what that is, right? So you give them a bottle or you feed them something, you got to throw them over your shoulder, you got to burp them. I think sometimes the people that are resisting change, you got to do the same thing. Like you just got to throw them over nice. your shoulder and just burp them. Like, ah, why do we have to cheap the third principal we've had in five years and they all bring their own program? Blah, why does our school have to change and the other ones don't? Blah, they never have to do this in elementary. We only have to do it in secondary. Blah. I mean, and just, like let them get it out and validate them, thank them for the information, then get them back in the classroom, get them back to work. But um, I, I think that's you know another kind of reaction. Then the, the last group of people that I think you know have that we need to be thinking about when when we consider how people are feeling about change is people who quit and what they feel is they hate the change. And they're so afraid of it and its potential impact on them that they leave rather than battling through it and dealing with it. And some will quit and try to stay, right? They're, they're emotionally disconnected. So what they feel is like a blankness. I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but there's just like a disconnect. They, they feel disconnected from the team, disconnected from the school, the organization, district leadership. And but they keep showing up every day, hoping they don't get found out. Right. 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 And so, I mean, I, I think that's really a, a good way to, to process how people feel about change is, is by looking at how those feelings drive these different common reactions. And there's, there's other ones besides the five that we've listed as common, you know, I mean, there's, there's people that are, you know, on the extreme end, they're like, I'm going to burn this place down. You know, <laughs> I'm going to take everything out with me because as I go out the door or whatever, but I don't know. I don't, hopefully that's helpful. Oh, it's very helpful. I mean, it's uh, having participated in and been part of and led and, you know, it's, it, you run into these different categories that you guys, I mean, perfect <laughs> descriptions and, uh, and it's unfortunate, especially when, um, you know, 
after a while, you become a big fan of the idea of, look, we're going this way. <laughs> and if you're going to get off, the next stop is right there. So let's move on. And uh, as opposed to trying to figure out how to fix them or make them want it or, or be part of it or something like that, instead trying to see if you can get them to, let's, let's you know, here we go, you know, and, and it, it's, it's fascinating because the different personalities, I mean, you guys have really done a great job of describing them. I mean, you just see, I, you know, probably most people who read this will be able to put names with the different yeah. categories. So, and yeah, it, and it, it's That's an, definitely what we found. They, the, 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 the names of the characters that are tied to their response to change just really resonates with people. And and like you said, they can put people in category. Oh, that person, they tend to resist. And then after they've resisted for a little while, they feel that they get enough information to move forward on the change. Then they move like crazy. Right. Or, you know, I mean, it, it's, if we talk about that, like there's, you can, your reaction to the change, you can have all five reactions. Like you can, you can emotionally quit and then you get enough information. You go, well, I'll see. And then you wait it out and then you're tentative and you, you, you know, you sort of get into it a little bit. And then finally it starts working for you. And like, Oh, this was brilliant. Let's go. What's wrong with the rest of you? So I love it. I love it. The, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because one of the things that you're, it, sometimes there's not a, a you know, I give this as an example, like one school, the veterans were my best supporters. Um, they, oh. They were looking for a one direction only, you know, because the, the yeah. system had tried all these different people sending them in and going to do this, going to do that. And in, in another setting, uh, the, uh, um, you know, it, it might be the teachers who are newer to about six years. And in, in, in one situation, the, the most difficult were the ones who had had six years and maybe six to nine years category. And, uh, and it's just, it is, it's fascinating because it's kind of like, you know, it, it's like, all right, look, let's come to the table. We're going to be talking about this, bring your information and then we're moving. Cause it's not, <laughs> we don't, yeah. don't have time. So, uh, yeah. um, but uh, awesome descriptions. I, I think it fits well. I think the readers will go, Hey, <laughs> I know that person. <laughs> yeah. uh, or that was me or that was me two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, in the beginning of chapter three, how we experience change, this is noted. So I'm quoting from the book. It, it is easy for leadership to think of change as a process to roll out and manage instead of considering it a people-centric engagement opportunity. Could you talk about that some? Yeah. Leaders tend to have a very different perspective on change than do the people who are usually charged with them, right? So you've got you know district personnel who become aware of you know, something new that we ought to do a curriculum, for instance, or a new bell schedule or a new way of organizing specials um, or whatever. And so, you know, they, they see it from sort of the 30,000 foot view and, and actually Paul Walker, who is the, the president of our company, Franklin Covey, he wrote the forward to the book and he talks about hearing me talked to a group of leaders in Chicago several years ago where I explained this, that leaders are sort of running the 30,000 foot view and they're going 60, you know, or 600 miles per hour. And 
they aren't realizing that their people are tethered to this leadership strategic plane. And 600 miles an hour looks a lot different to people who are on the ground. And when leaders understand how people experience change emotionally, right? Most of us experience change in, in an emotional way. Then these leaders who recognize that can start to engage people in a process of taking personal ownership of the change. So this is, it, it, at first, it may be something that we're doing to you, right? We, we couldn't get consensus on the change. We brought a group of people in to make a decision about the curriculum. We brought a group of people in to decide that we were going to put sixth grade in the middle school and take them out of the junior high or whatever it is, right? Or ninth grade, we're going to move into, you know, junior high and out of the high school, whatever it is. We didn't bring everybody in to make the change decision, but we can engage people as leaders in, in helping them recognize you can choose your reaction to the change. If we help you understand what's happening and why and give you as much data as possible and validate how you're feeling about the change and make it safe for you to, to share how you're feeling, right? There's some psychological safety that becomes really important when creating a, a people-centric you know, opportunity for, for those who are experiencing the change. And, and then even though the change is instituted from the top, the, the people in the team can feel like they can take personal ownership for the change and moving things forward. And, and then they don't see it as something that's happening to them as much as they see it as an opportunity for growth and figuring it out. And, and as leaders, we need to give them a space to figure that out because we because we already wrestled with it, right? I mean, if we made the decision to change something big, we already got the information. We have a why. We've got the data. We felt good about it. We've wrestled with it. And then we institute it. We're like, what's wrong with you all? Why are you fighting us on this thing? Get on board. And what we forget is that we were fighting with each other about it for weeks or months before we pulled the trigger on it. We had the chance to go through our emotional reactions to it before it was instituted. So I think that's, um, you know, what, what we want to think about is in how leaders see and experience change differently than the, the people who actually have to make it work. Yeah, I think that's so important to understand because it's, you know, it's one of those things that uh, as a leader, because oftentimes you also, you have these other pressures on you from up above that, may simply be that they're trying to enter they they may not see it as trying to interfere with you but they're trying to get something done that they want done and you're you're trying to go whoa <laughs> stop 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 go away go away go away go away and you know like like the bug zapper thing that uh, you know like yeah. trying bug zapper and it's like uh, I got this idea I got this idea you hear all these different voices and so you're dealing with that and so it's easy to forget about the the groups that you're meeting with and talking with and, and trying to encourage to, you know, let's look at this information that we've gathered and let's, can't, you know, can you see what I see, you know, it's, or something like yeah. this. Meanwhile, you're, you're, def, you're kind of defending the realm from uh, other forces and, or, right. or even have somebody who it's, it, I'm making fun of it, but it's not that simple. It's, it's more like, you know, a, 
a threat of <laughs> their own type that uh, you will do as the you know the as if it's like Darth Vader saying, <laughs> "Yeah, you will do as I say." Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I think when when leaders just recognize that that they experience change in a different way, and there, I mean, look, there are times when the, the mindset of leaders is, look, you just have to get on board. Like resistance is futile. There's, this is not optional and we need to do it at pace. But I think then it's, it's, you have to say like, that's on me as a leader to be so crystal clear in my messaging about what's happening and why that it enables people to quickly make the shift and to get on board with the change. And I think the other thing that we maybe forget as leaders is that, that when we have high trust relationships with the people that we lead, trust enables change to happen at pace. So if in, and all trust is, is, is confidence, right? So if, 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 the administrators in a school district have confidence in the superintendency. If they have confidence in the district team, they, they trust them um, because of their assessment of both their character and their confidence, how they show up as human beings and, and how good they are at their jobs, then we fight it less. And, and we, and we hear the message and we don't feel like it's politicized and we, we don't second guess it. We, the, the, because if we're suspicious of the rationale for change or the messaging behind change, then we resist it. Then we fight it. Then we talk behind closed doors and <clears throat> have these whisper meetings at the, the, you know, the water fountain between classes. And, and it's no, like if, if leaders are trustworthy over time and you have those times when it's like we have to we have to execute this change at pace it will go at pace because people trust you it slows things down when there's suspicion and i think that's a really important thing for people to to learn as as leaders if you want change to go more clearly think about the culture that you're developing in the district or in your school and is it a high trust culture or a low trust culture? Is it a fun kind of trust and inspire people kind of culture? Or is it a command and control type culture? And if we've got a, a command and control type culture, people are going to fight it. They're going to resist it. They're going to wait. They're going to run from it. But if we, if we have this culture where we trust our staff, to implement it and they feel trusted, like they feel that we have confidence in them, then they'll adopt it way faster. And, and I think there's, there's value in exploring that word inspire a little bit. It, it, the word comes from the Latin and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like inspire or something like that. But, but the Latin word means to breathe life into. And so think about as administrators, whether you're at the district level, the school level, the department level, uh, the grade level, are you breathing life into people when you institute change, when you demand change, when, when 
you know, resistance is futile. Do people feel like you're breathing life into them, recognizing that 88% of them feel like whatever the change is will make things worse for them? So how do we switch that? How do we make them think like this is breathing life into you and inspiring you and and this is something you're going to take control of at an individual level and the and and it's not about you know resisting it or waiting it out or doing as little as possible or or leaving it because we can't do it if you quit, right? I mean, that's, that's some of the stuff I think we need to think about as leaders and trying to get people on board with change. Oh, I think it's so important. I mean, that's, it's, if you don't even consider that stuff, because it's all going on whether you want it to or not. So, uh, you know, it's, you got to figure out, uh, you got to pay attention to it and how people are thinking. The, uh, you know, it's, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things I think is awesome that happens, uh, it, if you got things if you're just living right, the cool thing is, is when somebody on the team or staff um, decides to, to take you at your word and comes to you one day to say something uh, that they, they think the rest of the staff is in, misinterpreted or something like that. And uh, yeah. they decided to take that step to, to let you know um, that, you know, can, can we talk about this? And I, I think that's so important because it, it, as you're connecting, because some people will never make that step. They'll never risk the possibility of, you know, stepping out into the middle of the road and, and uh, getting run over by the, the truck that comes through. And, um, and it, it's in, I mean, each, each of my cases of working in the different schools, there's always been um, one or two people that have taken the, uh, knocked on the door and said, can I talk for a second, talk with you just for a second? I think we need to talk about something. And, you know, and it's, it's been invaluable. And uh, um, it's just a cool thing because you got to, you're hoping that you're starting to make connections and so forth, as opposed to making everybody run to their corners and, and avoid right. you. Yeah. So what, what is it that you've done, Stephen, to, to make it possible for people to feel like they could come in and have that conversation? I mean, break that down. And why would they, why would they say, I'm going to go talk to Stephen about this instead of going to a corner? What is it about you or about your leadership or about the connections that allow that? Uh, one of the things that I think I do well now, some people might argue about this, but I, I think I, uh, I connect with people cause I am who I am. All right. I, and, uh, there's, there's part, part of me that's, uh, you know, goofy and uh, part of me is, uh, you know, it's, um, this is when I talk with people, this is what I'm talking about. And, and what I do is I try and bring people to the table. I say, if you want to be part of this discussion, as we look at, because what I, what I like to do is bring together people to look at, uh, to come to this meeting, we're going to do this and bring to the table any of the information that you have that's going to share a little bit about the kids that we're working with, because know that I'm going to bring information as well. And I'm not going to try and, you know, poo-poo yours or something like yeah. this. We're going to have this discussion about what it means. And then let's go out and see what we see in the, in the school and, and do these uh these, these walkthroughs and stuff like this and gather this information to see what happens. Well, when you start doing stuff like this, at the same time, I'm trying to connect with, because when you go into environments and schools to, uh, to make change, one of the things you, you know, it depends on um, 
I mean, because the kids are always part of that, no matter what. And right. in uh, in some cases, there's any number of things that happen there. So, uh, like if I'm the new sheriff in town for a little bit or something like this, I need kids to know that you know I'm <laughs> just because I am this way doesn't mean that I'm all that, that that's all that there is to me. Uh, yeah. And so, um, connecting with um, kids also by playing um, you know pickup games of soccer or playing in the band yeah. or doing things like that and. And that helps too. Some of the faculty see that. Well, you know, well, he's not this ogre, I guess, because he's it's, yeah. he's trying to connect with our families and the stuff that's going on there, as well as the faculty. And and I think it's just being who I am as and trying to share with them the idea that I don't have this to sell you, but instead we know that we here's some information about the kids performance that we know that, you know, they're yeah. five years behind on vocabulary development or they're, yep. you know, we've got a, a violent community uh, uh, in the, within the school that needs to be gotten under control. We've got, you know, here's some, here's some aspects and let's come to together and talk about this. And, you know, I, I think that that's helped. And by the way, one of the funniest ones ever was uh, um, I'm a, I'm a star Wars fan. So uh, you'll hear the references and, um, this one teacher knew that and he comes to the, comes to my door at, after after school had gotten out and he he knocks at the door and he goes oh obi-wan he goes this this humble jedi requests permission to and and he, he proceeds to tell me about something that uh, i needed to to better say what i was talking about and uh, he gave me some suggestions that would help and uh, you know and a, another one was uh uh, veteran teacher of a long time. She, um, at that time was at like 38 years or something. And, wow. and, uh, she comes to me and she said, you know, um, I like some, I like the, the, the stuff that you're talking about and doing. And, and she'd been at that school for a long time as well. And, uh, seeing people come and go <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, she said, can I talk with you? And she said, cause I think you meant something other than what people heard. And she said it that way, and it it probably created one of my best <laughs> best oops I screwed up um, ways to get out of. I created a a, a evil twin brother, <laughs> and and I said I think you guys I, I need to correct something. I said I just need you to know that my evil twin brother Guido got control of my computer, and uh, he he wrote this letter to you all, and I need to correct that letter. All right, and uh, <laughs> and that's awesome. And so some stuff like that, and Guido worked well for me o- over time. And it, because uh, people would come to me and say, "Hey, is uh, is Guido around today, or it's just you?" And I say, "Yeah, it's just me. We're good." So, That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. So it sounds like you really worked on being your authentic self. And yes, um, sounds like in that instance there was uh, a little bit of, you know, I'm sorry, apologize, my alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> got the best of me on that email. I love that. That's great stuff. Thanks for thanks for letting me interview you for a second, Stephen. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. That's uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, those just alone those two time frames, ta- those two s- situations taught me a lot. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I want to go back to what you said, which is you know the idea that these this is people that you're you're working with, and it's you know one of the things I experience is that when we're working with people as you're doing this, that there's nervousness and things and thoughts and 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 sometimes people do hear things the way they think they hear it it's not or not the way you intended it or something like this and and it's it's cool to have someone step forward and say can we talk yeah it's 
awesome. Awesome. So, so with this, you have one of the things you guys share in your book is a change model. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could kind of go into just a little bit about it and uh, ex- yeah. explain the thoughts behind it. So imagine that you've got uh, a, an x-axis that is time and a y-axis that is results. And the results could be happiness, uh, academics, um, financial results, um, school climate, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so that's, you've got these two axes and the model starts on the left side with the zone of status quo. And that's the current level of results that we're getting. And that could be a higher, low level, depending on, you know, the ways in which we're measuring results. Often I think schools right now are thinking about results relative to academic performance and a lot around school culture and, and so you, you think about, okay, this is the level of results, and, and, and then imagine that you have a disruption that comes. And at the point of disruption, you move from the zone of status quo to the zone of disruption. So now what happens is everything's great, and then we have a global pandemic in March of 2019. Well, did that impact schools? Absolutely. Absolutely you know, tremendous drop in results. And because we lost the ability to connect with kids. Now, some schools quickly were able to um, use free Zoom technology that was offered. And, and, but also very quickly, kids learned that they didn't have to go to those, you know, online classes and meetings. And very quickly, we learned there was a whole segment of our population that didn't have access to the technology that would allow them to connect. They, you know, not every kid in every school has a laptop um, or a Chromebook. Not not every um, person that comes to our school had high speed internet access, um, you know, or any kind of internet access. And so we recognized that there's this massive dip in results and. And then, and, and same thing, let's say we, we use a new curriculum, right? We're running along fine. The curriculum we feel like isn't producing the outcomes that we want. Kids aren't reading at grade level or whatever. And so we, we institute a new, um, you know, curriculum. And, and it doesn't matter how many teachers we involved in it, how great the curriculum is, we're going to see a drop in results until people figure it out and, and make it work for them and understand how to use it. And I mean, you know, there's going to be some PD that's going to be required to help them learn to use that. And and if I've been using another software for 10 years, I'm a little pissed off that I've got to learn a new one because the old one was fine for me. And so I'm dealing with the emotions of all that. And all that happens in the zone of disruption. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm angry. I'm concerned. It's just an emotional experience. Well, I didn't choose that curriculum. That's the worst curriculum in the world. We had that in my old district. Why would they do that here? Right? I mean, and, and so. <laughs> they didn't ask us. They didn't even ask anybody in first grade. You know, why do we have to do that? It works great for the other grades, not great for first grade. So they feel all of that. And then at the lowest dip, in if you imagine that, that the results are dipping, whatever results we're looking at, the lowest point is what we call the point of decision. And the point of decision is where people can understand what's happening and why it's happening and feel enough self-confidence in 
uh, in their ability to, to navigate the change independently and with their team and with their students or with their parents or with the community, whatever it is, that we can then go into the zone of adoption. So that's the next zone. But we have to decide, like, okay, I'm going to play. I'm going I'm to figure it out. Otherwise, we just stay in this zone where in the zone of disruption where we're just forever disrupted and we don't get any value from the change. And when we get into the zone of adoption, we figure it out, right? And the model shows this really nice, upward, smooth curve, like it's this beautiful thing. We just get better and better results over time. And oh, no, it is a spaghetti <laughs> bowl, right? It is two steps forward and three steps back, and we bump into each other, and, and, and it doesn't work the way the people that sold it to us said it would work, <laughs> and, and, and right? And that's where, that's frankly where change goes to die, is is right in that zone of, of adoption where we're trying to figure it out. And then ultimately what happens is you get to a point where the change doesn't feel so significant. You've navigated your way through it. You understand how the new bell schedule works and everybody, the kids are doing great and the, the critical is fine, the software is fine, the new technology that we've got in our classroom is fine. Um, you know, working in a hybrid classroom situation, we've figured it out. And, and at that point, we could just say, hey, we got back to where we were, right? We're back to pre-pandemic levels. And, and what we want, what we're hoping for in the book is that we get into the zone of innovation where we actually are better for having gone through the change. What did we learn as we wrestled with the pandemic that actually made us better for having gone through that horrible time in schools around the, the world? And and if we can leverage what we learn in the disruption and in the zone of adoption and apply it, right? Are we better teachers? Are we better, more effective students? Are we better parents and supporting our children and supporting the staff? Because we went through this very difficult time. That's what we get on the far right side of that, that change curve and, and what we're really striving for in every change experience it's awesome i love it this this is uh just to have this, this visualization and, and thoughts and things you know uh, you know help you anticipate or see what you're experiencing and stuff like yeah. this and i think it does a great job of that all right you've kind of mentioned this a little bit but what are i mean what's i mean if you could just choose any one thing or uh, just something to i mean what, what causes a, a leader's change initiative to fail i mean what's What's one of those things that just, it's gone? <laughs> I mean, I, I said it, it's the zone of adoption. That's where change goes to die. And I think it's in that zone where people experience obstacles and frustrations that they've got to get over. And we, in the book, we identify three different types of obstacles. One is called hurdles and others quicksand obstacles. And the other one is what we call brick walls. And when you look at the hurdles, usually we can get through those on our own, right? That's when in the battle between your ears, right? I have the ability to do it. It's resting on my self-confidence. It's an administrator, you know, working with staff to help them understand we can do this. And, and if I trust my administrator and if the administrator has done a good job of communicating to me as a teacher my worth and my potential to do amazing things in the, in the classroom, I'm going to get on board and I'll get past that hurdle. Quicksand is interesting. Quicksand, if you know about real quicksand, 
if you get in it, you can't get out on your own. The more you struggle independently in quicksand, the more it sucks you in. And so there are some obstacles in the zone of adoption that are going to require us to get help and to, to swallow our pride and to say, I'm stuck, I need help. Or to, and this is where I think having a safe culture, like a, not a physical safe, although that's important, but an emotionally safe culture within a school or a district or a classroom where people can say, I don't understand this and I can't get out of it on my own. And then we have people who want to come and help and, and we feel for each other and we want to support each other. That helps us get past the quicksand obstacles. And then the brick walls are, we're going to need more resources, right? We need, we need aids. We need uh, financial resources. We need administrators to give us permission to dig under the wall or to climb over the wall or to go around it. Sometimes it's that kind of a thing. Like, like we're going to have to violate a policy here um, or we're going to do things a little bit differently. And, and I think what happens is if we don't help people get through those obstacles, they get frustrated, they lose confidence, they get discouraged. And something that leaders can do to fight those feelings is, is to use scoreboards to show people the progress they're making in the face of the change, right? They're, yes, we, we just went backwards, but before that, we took two steps forward. We were better last month than we were the month before that. And, and when they can see that, it encourages their hearts. And, and I think we can reconnect them to the vision. Remember why we're doing this. Remember where we're going. We're turning the school around. We're going to make this a school that attracts the best and the brightest students and athletes. And, and, and that's where we're headed. And to get them re-excited about that, create that psychological safety to let the team try new things and and I think there's a chance to negotiate the right level of initiative with staff so that people can take initiative to wrestle with the change in unique ways and not get in trouble if it doesn't work, right? Those are some things that, that I think we can do to, to make sure stuff doesn't fail in that zone of adoption. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. That's, you know, it's because it, it, there's, if you get stuck in quicksand, there's nothing worse because you, you, no matter what you do, you're. It's like what? Come on. Yeah. Well, and if you have an ego, <laughs> then you're like, oh, I don't need help. I'll get through this. I'm like, and and, right. and like two months later, you're still stuck. Like you can't right. get you can't do it on your own. It's still here. But still need each other to turn schools around. Like we need each other. You got that right. When I when I was a brand new teacher, I um, get this job in a school that. Uh, um, where I'm going. Um, but one of the things that would have been nice as a, as, as a young, I was probably 24, somewhere in that range. All right. And, uh, um, the, the principal who this school, I did not know it until after I get hired on at this school, but this school had gone through like, um, eight principals in 12, 13 years. All right. And so it created lots of different issues at this school. And, uh, one of the things though, that he said during the interview was, uh, um, I just want to make sure that you understand that uh, you need to avoid the snake pit. And I'm 24 years old and I'm like, you have a snake pit here? <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> and he said, uh, he, he obviously realized I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, you know, the teacher's lounge. <laughs> and I, oh. I said, oh, okay. Um, that, that principal didn't last that whole year. Um, he was replaced <laughs> by somebody else. But I, I never forget that because, you know, you think about it, 
the, talk about lack of understanding what was all around him. I mean, he's stuck in some choir, you know, some sort of uh, quagmire somehow, and in uh, what his thoughts were about what you did at school. But uh, <laughs> uh, I never forget the, the snake pit thing. Um, you know, one one of the things that I gotta I gotta ask you before we're getting close to wrapping up, and one of the things we're leading ourselves to here is what is a leader's role in the decision making when you're making change? I mean, what did, what is that? Yeah. Look, I think leaders need to make the decisions about what's going to change and it, it's their purview. It's important for them to, to think about that at the district level, at the school level and in their classroom. But I think as leaders, we get to decide what's going to change, but then we need to let, the people on our teams figure out how to make the change happen. So if I'm at the district level, we have to let the, the building level administration and their teachers institute the change and make it work. If I'm at the building level, I have to let my teachers grade level, the, the department level, I need to let them do it. If I'm a teacher instituting change, uh, the kids have to figure out how to make it happen. And the more we empower the staff and the students to figure it out, the greater commitment and the greater their ability to face, you know, to, to persist in the face of the adversity that we're going to face. If, if we don't turn it over to them to make it happen, then we, the, the, the change is going to stagnate. It's going to fail completely because it's our change as leaders. It's my, or as a classroom teacher, like it's my change and the students are, they're going to make it very, very difficult. But if I say this is what's changing and it's up to you all to figure out how to make it work, they take ownership and run with it. And that's, that's I think, how the leaders need to play. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, Andy, we're just about finished. Uh, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them? Look, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I try to add value there and participate pretty actively and love to be connected with any of you that are that are there. Um, I think if you go to www.franklincovey.com slash change, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. And there's another link, www.franklincovey.com slash books slash change dash book that will give you some more things to, to follow up on there. Very cool. I'll put that information in the show notes so it's easy to find. And uh, I got the last two questions I like to ask my guests, and the first one goes like this. Um, when so much is happening and needing to be done and life is extremely demanding, what stops you from quitting and, and giving up? Well, that's a great, great question, Stephen. I, I would say it's my personal vision of the future would be one thing. Uh, I think the second thing would be my belief that others see me as an example and I don't want to let them down by being an example of the quitters. I want to be an example of the people that persist in the face of adversity. And I think maybe the third thing would be that I have a growth mindset that helps me know that I just haven't figured it out yet, but if I keep working at it, the resistance that I feel right now will end up being for my good in the long run. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Oh man, that 
that's tough. I've had so many great teachers in my life. It's hard to call out just one, but if, if you had, if you pressed me, <laughs> I would have to say it would be a gentleman named Bobby Callow. And Bobby taught the at-risk students at Tempview High School in Provo, Utah. And I met him when I was a college student working on my, my teaching degree, and he brought a group of his kids to the university and just led a discussion with us and with these at-risk kids about their situation and how they felt about school and how they felt about teachers. And I was just blown away with how Bobby interacted with the students and how he loved them. And um, I get emotional when I think about it. Uh, and how they loved him back. And it was tangible. And it touched me deeply. I mean, it still touches me to this day. Um, he eventually asked me to take over his classes while he did a sabbatical to coach college football for a semester. And that changed the trajectory of my career. I just, I realized that was a group of kids I needed to serve and that I had to love them and everything, all the challenges that their situations brought. Um, and, and that just permeated everything I became as a teacher, as a coach, and eventually an administrator and someone who wrote grants and administered them for that population and their families. So, so Bobby, if you're listening, uh, man, I love you, brother. <laughs> Andy, that's so Sorry cool. For getting emotional, but. Oh, that's all right. Thank you so much. That's that's so it's so powerful. What your 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 thoughts and everything there. So thank you so much for sharing, uh, Andy. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Your book, Change: How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Oh, it's awesome, man. Just wish I'd had it when I was I was in the midst of it. But it's it's every leader needs to read it. It's it incredible. It's easy to read, understand, and put to use. Wishing you the best in all you do. Thanks so much, Stephen. Appreciate you having me on. It's been great to visit. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.